So here we are, it's the fifth Sunday of Easter, and um, we, um, normally I, I, I preach or talk out of the gospel, uh, but today I want to look at the uh, second reading, it's, it's from First uh, Peter, um, and uh, in the second chapter, and uh, just a lot here uh, for us to ponder in terms of imagery, and also the description of, you know, who we are in Christ Jesus, and so... Let's uh, take a look at this and see what what has this resurrected Lord, what has he, you know, procured for us? What is the life that he died to give us? And uh, let's take a look at some of the qualities of that life. So I want to look at the at the epistle uh, in uh, three steps. Uh, we'll look first now at the call of salvation. Here's what we read. Come to him, a living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. So um, we see here the call. Now notice again, it, it begins with this word, you know, come, come to him. And also there's this um, expression, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. So again, the entire Christian life then is based on our response to an invitation from Christ. You know, it was not you who chose me, it was I who chose you, see? Um, and, um, we're to say yes, not only to Jesus, but also, you know, to what he can do for us, you know, to let him build us into this spiritual edifice, you know, of the church, of his body, of his presence in the world today. So again, um, uh, he can take these, you know, I don't know, broken, crumbling lives of ours and, and, uh, make use of them, even in our weaknesses. He can make use of these things and assist us to become what we were meant to be. And we, we also notice, and we'll see as we go on here, that we don't, exist just for ourselves. Yes, we, we we are, if you will, we're valuable in our for our own sake, right? But we're 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 communal. We we lived for others. Your life isn't just about you, see. You're 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 meant to live in communion with others, both receiving from and helping others, uh in a kind of a reciprocity or shall I say, or a um a giving and taking that uh that's necessary for us, but first of all to exist but also to uh, then assist one another. So let's take a look as we move on here to the next image here. It says uh, that uh, it says, come to him a living stone. And then he says, let yourself be uh, like living stones built into a spiritual edifice. So what a, what's a, what a weird expression, a living stone. Hmm. What's a living stone? In fact, a stone is about the most extreme other end of the spectrum we can think of from something that's living. It's hard. It's, it doesn't move. It's... it's it's um you know it's, it's not alive you know it doesn't there's no give and take stone just is there you know okay so it's an odd image but so so what does it mean though you know what do, you think, what do we think the Lord's getting at here uh, well first of all it means to be because it's a, we're living stones we're meant to be alive see and full full of life um, and so again this is the we'll just we'll get back to that but secondly. It means to, that some of the better qualities of a stone ought to be ours as well. That is to say, a stone is firm, it's weighty, it's not easily moved. It's not pliable, easily pliable, you know. Um, it's able to withstand, you know, a heavy load. So again, all these are qualities of stone that are good and should be true for us as well. You know, you too many of us are easily plied. Uh, we're, not, we're not carrying our weight. Uh, too many of us are... Not as firm as we should be, um, and so on. We are easily moved about by every wind of doctrine, human doctrines and trickery that 
comes out in our culture, the latest thing, we're blown with the breeze, you see. So what we want to do is to be no strong, firm, uh, foundational, and not easily moved about, able to withstand a heavy load. And uh, so in other words, we're called to be strong and firm in our faith, you see. And um, yeah, uh, in fact, there's that, uh, I, I wrote, I look at my notes here, Ephesians 4 and verse 14 says that you are not to be tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, right? So stable and firm, we're able to carry a weight, um, uh, the weight that's imposed on us at times by this world, and we're also able to support and carry others, all right? Now, so living stones, we're alive, vital, things are going on in our life, um, but we're also strong, firm, able to carry a heavy load, and help others, hmm, ourselves. And this leads us then to a kind of an image of a stone or, you know, a stone wall. And it's that we're to be built into a, a kind of a spiritual house. Now, you'll notice again that as spiritual stones, then we can think of ourselves as kind of making up the walls uh, of, a, of a, let's say, a church wall, a church building. Now, think about stone, whether it's brick or, or large stones, um, limestone or whatever kind of stone you can think of. Um, and um, um, you'll notice again that every stone in a wall has a critical role. It, it is to carry part of the load, not all of the load. And um, that um, you take any one stone out of that wall and um, the whole wall is weak. It might not immediately collapse, but that wall begins to sag and then cracks develop and, uh, and so on because there's something missing in the wall. So if we're not all there, and we're not all doing our part, the overall wall becomes weakened. And at some point, that wall is very threatened with collapse. And take away more than one stone, you start to see collapse is imminent. Now, that's one image of, of a regular wall. Now, sometimes you might even think of an arch. Now, you take any one stone away from an arch, and the whole thing's coming down, you know. There are certain critical stones in an arch. Um, there's the keystone at the top, and likewise, the two foundation stones, the head of the corner you know, the cornerstones, um, that um, those stones have to be perfect and strong without any uh, fissures or cracks in them and so on, because they're going to bear the full load of the weight coming down on the on the cornerstones and on the capstone or the keystone, all the way to those arches move into the center. So it's got to be cut just so, you see. So there's two images here of stones that we can think of. One is a wall. And, uh, you know, it's part of an edifice. It says here, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house as, as if living stones yourselves. So we think of a wall. And again, every stone needs to do its part. And even if the wall doesn't immediately collapse, if one of the stones is removed, it's going to start to sag and crack and grow weak. And again, more and more stones, the whole thing comes down. All right. Now, um, so again... By God's grace, then, we have to learn how to depend on one another. Uh, we have to also do our part and depend on others to do their part, each of us carrying our share of the bird. Right? So each stone, you know, as I say, will do our, whole, our, our part. <laughs> <coughs> Only together can we be solid. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> solid and sure. All right. So um, we don't, uh, uh, there's a lot of, imagery here that's important for us again the idea of um being called being called 
To be called to do what, though? Again, to uh, come to Jesus, a living stone, hmm? rejected by human beings, but nevertheless chosen and precious in the sight of God. So we come to him. And, of course, he is the true cornerstone over which those who don't believe trip and fall, but over upon which all of us who do believe are built. And we have a strong foundation in Christ. And then we ourselves are stones in the wall for one another, uh, called to be, you know, as living stones, but but carrying our share of the burden, carrying and assisting one another in so that the whole edifice it comes together. So this is a little different than Paul's other image, um, but it's it's got a lot the same, namely that image of being members or cells or some some part of the body of Christ. Each one of us like cells in the body of Christ, and uh, each one called to do a specific thing, a specific part, uh, but also depending on supporting and being in depend, uh, you know, encouraged and supported by others. And so these are the pictures or the nature of a, uh, of the body. And that emphasizes a bit more diversity, but the two images are, as you can see, very similar in that uh, all the members have to work together uh, for the one reality, the church, which is Christ, uh, to be good and strong in this world, all right? So the first thing we notice then is, if you will, the call that we have to salvation um, and to then the call to be something, namely living stones in this spiritual edifice. And um, it was we're called, and we answer the call. And then we answer the call to become what we want or should be, namely like living stones that ourselves be built into a spiritual house. Now, the second thing we see in this reading is not just the call of salvation, but the choice for salvation. It says here, whoever believes in, in Jesus will not be put to shame. Therefore, the value, uh, therefore, again, it says here, therefore, its value, namely Christ, the living stone, the great living stone, uh, is a value for you who have faith. But for those without faith, it is the stone that the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone and a stone that will make people stumble and a rock that will make them fall. They will stumble by disobeying the word, as is their destiny. All right. Simply put, you have a choice to make. You know, you're either going to be whether Jesus is a cornerstone to support you or a stumbling block over which you're going to trip. Um, it's, um, it's an interesting phenomenon, you know. I mean, well, let's just go to this. You, you may recall when Simeon was holding the infant Jesus in his arms, he looked at Mary and Joseph, and he said, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and a sign that will be contradicted. See? In other words, all human destiny rises or falls on this on this child who is Christ and the decisions that people make to either accept him or reject him and um, by the way accepting is more than just taking up some pom-poms and saying yay team Jesus you know it's going to be to accept him means to listen to him to base our life on what he teaches you see and and and, and to lead where he follows which is sometimes to the cross Always, of course, to the glory of the resurrection. But at the end of the day, we're not just taking this accepting Jesus into some, into some kind of just cheesy little membership clause. Um, this is these are about decisions we make every day to either walk with the kingdom and Jesus is in what He represents and teaches, or to walk against it. Yeah. So again, we we see here that. Um, um, 
we uh, we want to make a decision. Everything you're either you're either with Jesus and He's your supporting or foundation cornerstone, or you're not, and you're going to trip and fall. Okay. Jesus says um, in you know the famous passage, "God so loved the world that He sent His only Son." You know, everybody just stops there. For God did not send us unto the world to condemn the world that the world might be saved through him. Everybody stops reading. Don't read out. He says, but it, but it goes on to warn um, again that uh, um, you know he so loved the world. But again, he goes on to warn. But there, there are many who don't accept him, and uh, they prefer the darkness to the light. And so, likewise, again, we have to always understand you're free to choose. But you're not free not to choose. That is to say, Jesus is presented and you have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. All right. We continue on here. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about what's meant by a cornerstone. See, I think most of us think of a cornerstone today as a kind of a ceremonial stone, with the, usually with a year carved in it that a building was made. And, and you know, you, you have a little opening in it. You throw something in with some, you know, fixtures or historical things and uh, someday you know you'll take that stone out and open it up uh, on, on the 100th anniversary or what have you you know we tend to think of this as just more of a ceremonial thing but really no as i've already said to you a cornerstone um, or a foundation stone like that is is it's it, it, it's it's the stone upon which all the other stones rest especially when you're talking about an arch and so you've got this cornerstone and the arch goes up and then it begins to move in this direction and then you have a keystone there. So this whole side of the arch rests on that. And then the other side comes down on another, another, if you will, cornerstone or a head of the corner, it's sometimes called. And um, you start to see then again how important this stone is. Every other stone depends on that, you see. And you're either going to be on that foundation stone and standing strong, or you're going to be falling down and tripping all over the cornerstone. Um, and um, so again, decide. Do you want Jesus to support you, or are you just going to trip over him? But you're going to deal with him, and I'm going to deal with him. And so is everybody you know and love. One year, one day, I was talking to a young lady reporter who was interviewing me, and she was about to say some bad stuff. And I told her that's just not true. And she said, "Well, we're going to be printing this." And I said, "Well, you know, you're going to answer to God one day for printing stuff that isn't true." And uh, she said, well, I don't believe in all that kind of stuff. And I said, well, you're going to answer to him anyway. You can say, well, I don't go for all that. Too bad. There's a reality. And the scriptures are teaching us, uh, the scriptures are a prophetic declaration of that reality, that everyone is going to answer to Christ one day. Even people who say he doesn't exist, they're going to answer to him. Even people who say, well, he's a nice guy, but uh, I got, I got uh, Allah or I got Buddha over here. They're still going to answer to Jesus. Everyone will answer to Jesus. Okay, Scripture, Jesus says, The Father has handed judgment over to the Son so that all may revere him. Okay, all right. So uh, we, we have to understand that you're either going to be supported by Christ or you're going to not be and you're going to be tripping as you, you know, try to make your way in some foolish other way. You're just going to trip over him. So the choice is ours. Um, now, um, those who knowingly reject him he becomes a stumbling block, all right? I know, I know, all the questions come up, but what about people never heard of him? Okay. This is not a time to do a full discourse on soteriology. But I will say that um, 
If someone had invincible, that is to say, ignorance that was almost impossible, hard or almost impossible to overcome, I'm sure the Lord will take that into account. Were they at least implicitly following him in their conscience? Were they keeping the natural law? Okay, okay, fine. But, you know, there are an awful lot of people who have definitely heard of Christ, in fact, went to a raised in churches and given the, the gospel as best we know how to give it, and they still walked away. I'd be worried about that. I wouldn't just say, oh, you know how kids are today. Don't do that. Um, they're going to answer to Jesus one day, and so are you and I, if we never call them on that and say, you know, I just don't want you to go to hell. I want you to really come back to church. I want you to listen to Christ, and I want you to do what he says, because I love you. I care about you. All this, oh, well, I don't want to upset somebody. Yeah. We're willing to upset God, but nobody else. You know, we seem to be very willing to upset God by not doing what he says. See? And yet, we don't want to offend human beings. Come on, that's all completely backwards. You know it is, and so do I. So we, we may not be able to be able to harangue all of our family members, but we ought to be clear with them. I'm praying for you, because I am concerned where you're going to spend eternity. And... Um, I'm not your judge, but I've met your judge, and he's told me a lot of things about how he's going to judge you and me. And right now, you're not on a path that looks the right direction. And I think we need to be more clear about this and uh, and, and stop being so, oh, well, I don't want to upset anybody kind of stuff, you know. And uh, I'm also aware that not uh, not everybody, you know, you're not always the, the best one to try to preach to your children anymore. There's too much history or something. But but you have, have you considered praying and fasting for, for that somebody might get to them who can preach to them? You know? Okay, something to think about. All right, but we don't want to just blow by these things and say, look, uh, this is all that went on. I'm sure it'll all be fine in the end. That isn't what this text is saying. I, and very few texts say that in the Bible, that in the end, everything will just be happily ever after. It's just not that way. There are people who make decisions against Christ. And as long as they're still with us and we're with them, we should do our very best to ask them to explicitly choose Christ because you're either going to let them be your foundation or you're going to be building on sand and tripping all over the foundation stone. The third thing, there's some characteristics here about our salvation. It says here, they're listed here, that you, um, because of your choice of Christ and being that living stone, you are now a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people of his own, so that you may announce the praises of him who calls you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So let's look at a few things, uh, some of these, if you will, um, characteristics of our salvation. First of all, our pedigree says here you're a chosen race. Um, we've reflected on, on making Christ our choice, but here we're reminded that before he chose us, he, uh, before we chose him, he chose us. And um, we received an invitation, you know. And uh, it's interesting how we make light of this as, as if this were nothing. You know, if you've got a, a, a I don't know, uh, and this is beside the point what you think about the current president one way or the other. <clears throat> but if you got an invitation to come to a state dinner at the White House, you know, um, you know, you, you'd probably feel pretty important. You'd probably feel like, hey, I must be somebody. Uh, and I'm on their radar, and uh, getting this kind of an invitation to the to the state dinner at the White House is a pretty special thing. And uh, we think, well, hey, I've really made it. We'd proudly tell our friends of this great honor. We'd be excited about it. And yet we take a little notice that God has chosen us to be a member of his body. Wow. 
You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whoa, wait a minute. Who's who's more important, the president, or the country, or the king of the universe? See, and again, I hear worldly our minds are. You see, so don't miss this glory of your pedigree. You are you are were chosen by God. I was chosen by God. You don't gotta get all boastful about it, but at the end of the day, wow. How about a little wonder and awe? Okay. <laughs> so we have a pedigree. We have a priesthood. It says each of us who was baptized, you know, it says you're you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Now notice that word royal priesthood. We're priest kings. In other words, um uh, David and others kind of tried to combine the office of priesthood and, and kingship and and so on. Um, but the idea is that uh, the royal priesthood is the priesthood of everyone who's baptized. There's a ministerial priesthood. Guys like me have that. You know, we're ordained to uh, to be the ministerial priests of Christ. That's we bring you the sacraments, huh? especially the body and blood of Christ. We, we, we act in the person of Christ to bring about the sacraments. So that when he says, when Christ says, I baptize you, he uses our mouth, okay? Uh, he lays hands on through our hands, and so on, okay? Those are, those are distinct. But all of us by baptism do have what's called the royal priesthood. Um, and um, this, this, we're actually priest, prophet, and king, right? So we have this, it's different from the ministerial priesthood, but every, what is the priest, what is the essence of the priesthood? It is to offer sacrifice to God. Okay. Now, in the Old Testament, the priest would always offer something distinct from himself, an animal. Sometimes there were libations of wa uh, water, wine, or oil. Sometimes there would be wave offerings, you know. Sometimes there would be cereal offerings of grain. Uh, but most often there was also the offering of some animal, a pigeon or turtle doves for those who were poor and, and, and a lamb and for those who were very wealthy, like an oxen. And these, these the, the priest would take these animals, kill them, and offer them up to God in sacrifice. Now, in the New Testament, look out, it gets real personal. Uh, Jesus, in Jesus' priesthood, we see that uh, the priest and the victim are one and the same. Jesus is both the priest, the high priest, he's the lamb of sacrifice, he's the altar, he's the temple. And so any, any of us who would share in this priesthood of Christ, whether through the royal priesthood of believers, or the ministerial priesthood, all have to remember that we have to recall that our very lives are what we offer. And that's that's the gift you fundamentally have to offer. Your, your, your time, your talent, your treasure, but also the gift of your very life. All right, so uh, we see here that um, all of us in the royal priesthood, what the gift that you offer is the gift of your very life to God. You say, I'm yours, use me. I give you my obedience. I give you my heart, my mind, my will. I give you my body, my strength. I give you my time. I give you my talents. It's all yours. See? We who are ministerial priests go on with all that included, but we also add to this that we take bread and wine. And by God's grace, of course, Jesus working through us, they become the body and the blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. We absolve from sins. We baptize. We, uh, well, in some cases, confirm. We to celebrate weddings and, and so on. These are the things that, again, um, uh, the, the ministerial priesthood does. But for all of us, that lesson is very important. It's a very great dignity given to us to be priest of God Most High, but it's a very, it, well, it's sacrificial. So it's not just to 
the, especially for we ministerial priests, it's not just about wearing fancy clothes and vestments. It's about what they represent. And so we have a pedigree. We have a priesthood. Two more. We have a place and a proclamation. The place. The text calls us a holy nation. Now, the word holy in Hebrew has a physical quality. In fact, Hebrew is a very physical language. And um, to be holy means that you take something out of the ordinary group of things and you, you take it and you put it, you take it from here and you put it over here. So you literally take it from the ordinary stuff and you put it over here as something special, set apart. Literally in Hebrew, the word holy means set apart. Now, notice therefore, that, that think of you know, back in the old days when most of our grandmothers uh, had a special china, special silverware. Special stuff they only use for special occasions, maybe a few times a year. That was sacred. It was set apart. You didn't use that for the cookout. Uh, so this is what it means to be then a holy nation. Uh, that is to say we are set apart from all the other peoples of the world to be a nation, a holy nation, a set apart nation. Uh, we're called out. In fact, the word ecclesia, where we get the word church, like ecclesiastical and stuff like that, Ecclesia means to be called out, uh, and um, and so we we see this um, this this vision, if you will, of, of being taken away from the ordinary, uh, run of the mill, and put over here as something special or unique. Hmm. Well, then why do most of us try to spend most of our time fitting in and looking like everybody else, looking like we're just ordinary? I don't mean we got to get all arrogant and start being fuss budgety, but again, to realize that's not my job. In fact, it's, it's the opposite of our job to just echo the world and look like the world, sound like the world, imitate the world, and just be like anybody who doesn't know anything about Jesus. Be like some old pagan over there, you know? No, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be set apart. Different, you see? But we spend most of our time trying to fit in with this old hellbound sin soap world. Look, I don't I don't just point fingers. I, this, this is a struggle that I have to all of us, you know? We're like, not, 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 look, don't run around being an idiot like a sociopath, just looking and being weird just for the sake of being weird. That's not what this is about. But if you really try to live your life like Christ says, you're going to look and sound and be different. Your priorities are not going to be the same, see? And people will find this, and they're going to look at you. You're not repeating the narrative. You're not going with the flow, man. You're, you're starting to make some of the rest of us look bad. And I don't know about you, see? And then they start to turn on you and get really angry, you know? They start to say, look, you know, Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love what it was his own. You're not of the world. It calls you out from the world, and therefore the world's going to hate you. Now, does it, for most, most of us, spend most of our time trying to make sure nobody, especially in the world, doesn't hate us? And we're pleasing everyone but God. Okay. Well, you've heard me enough on this, but I'll just say, this is serious. And the Lord is saying, come on. I've, I've called you to be a holy nation, a nation that's set apart, that shines like, like, a, like a city on a hill. And look at you, hiding under bushel baskets, and looking to sound like everybody else. Everyone's going to get a tattoo. i got to go get a tattoo as well. You know, uh, can we stop being slaves to fashion and slaves to culture? And maybe we can glorify God uh, by being a little different, not a sociopath, you know, just being odd, 
but on the other hand, not just going along with everything that comes around. Okay, okay. and then we finally have here our not just our our, our place and our, our our priesthood and our, our pedigree, but we also have our proclamation. The text says, "The Lord has done all this in your life so that you, uh, that He who called you out of darkness into His own wonderful light, so that He He He, he does this so that you can proclaim and announce Him to the praises of God." So, you know, as, as Jesus says elsewhere, again, you know, that, uh, that others may see the good you, that you do and give glory to God, you see, who's doing it through you. So our, our goal is to be able to announce the praises of God by a light that's full of praise, a light that shines in the darkness, and a light that is in every way um, just, just filled with the sense of the glory of God. Well, I don't know about you, but this is a loaded little reading, isn't it, huh? And, you know, we started out by just talking about the fact that we, we've been called, called by him, and we should answer that call. And we're called to be living stones, living stones in a spiritual house. And um, so he's called us to be something in particular, not just called us. And um, we ought to do that and do it well, carry our weight, be like living stones. We talked about making that choice for salvation. You know, you, you, you are going to deal with Jesus Christ. Everyone is going to answer to him. You might as well let him be the foundation stone of your life and let him support you. Otherwise, you're just going to trip and fall. And um, people who aren't going to follow Christ, you know, Jesus says elsewhere, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? So what we want to see is that there's a, a very important role that we listen to Christ and base our life. And then we came, of course, to then some of these characteristics of our salvation. Then we have a pedigree. Wow, what an incredible dignity called. What an awesome priesthood, a life of sacrifice to offer. And likewise, again, our place to be a holy nation of people set apart and to be able to proclaim the praises and the glory of God and that people will see this shining in our life. Okay, tall bill. Um, let's keep looking at it. <laughs> That's why you got irritating people like me to remind you. And I got irritating people like me to remind me. So again, that we have, uh, that we do this. This is the great call, but it brings to us a certain responsibility. So again, uh, rejoice in the Lord, who's called you to such a high dignity. But with that dignity comes great responsibility. Lord, help us, help us to keep it. Amen.